Hey, what's up podcast? This is Dan Newdale. This is a little pre-roll I'm doing for the podcast before the episode starts. Uh, this is my interview with a guy called Chris Young. He is a great guy. He's an author. He's also done some great work spreading uh, awareness around mental health. I really can't wait for you to listen to this episode and I hope you get a lot from it. I know I did. Until next time, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Hope you enjoy the episode. Good afternoon. Welcome to Know Yourself. This is Dan Udell. I'm here with a very special guest today. I'm here with Chris Young. Thanks for joining me. Hi, hi. Thanks for coming along. Yeah, no problem at all. I'm here in your lovely home uh, in Ilmington. Um, it is absolutely beautiful drive that I took out here. Uh, we're here in the countryside, very much so out in the sticks, I guess. We'd say. Yeah, yeah, middle of nowhere. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> we've got the uh, we've got some sheep in uh, Chris's back garden, uh, <laughs> which uh, which was a nice surprise when I got yeah, it actually. Yeah. So uh, Chris uh, is a great guy. Uh, we've been kind of chatting already a little bit. And um, yeah, he's also an author as well. Uh, Walk a Mile, Tales of Wandering Loon. Yeah, um, that came out last uh, beginning of November, I think. Um, so yeah, it's uh, basically it's a, a story that's not told. It's, it's, I was really keen for it not to be a, a misery memoir. Okay, because it's uh, I think that's quite a common thing that somebody has a mental health problem and they talk about all the bad shit and yeah, it, it it's it's quite difficult to go through. A lot of my life has been absolutely hilarious, and <laughs> and I've jammed that into the book as well. That 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 you know that there's all kinds of crazy silly stuff that's that's happened as well. There's dark stuff, but um, you know it, it, the the aim is just to show that it's just. Mental ill health can can really happen to anyone. Yes. So, what was the what was the origin story behind writing the book? Like, what made you, I guess, want to start doing it? What writing the book? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I was. I've been a social worker for about <clears throat> seventeen years. I've been disabled out of social work because I've been given a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. Sure. <clears throat> I'd always wanted to be a social worker from the age of 12 because um, when, I, when I was 12, my mum died of cervical cancer and my dad became an alcoholic. He'd always been an alcoholic, but my mum, we hadn't realised he'd been her handler. Right. So, okay. um, you know, my, my world turned to shit. So it, at that time, I decided I want to be a social worker because I, then I would be there for people when people hadn't been there for me. That was that simple. I understand. Um, so when I spun out of social work, work the, the job that I loved and um, I suppose cherished, uh, I had to retrace my steps. Right. And the thing that I'd always wanted to be, right up until the age of 12, is I wanted to be a writer. My teachers expected me to be a writer. Oh. I was going to be a writer. And uh, so... I, I sort of went back to that and started started writing again. Um, that every time I try to write something though, because yeah. I love writing fiction. Uh, what what was previously known as um, science fiction is now speculative fiction, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which makes it slightly more sellable. Um, so I, here's me writing my speculative fiction, and every. Every time I tried to get on with it, it became autobiographical. Okay. So I thought, 
shit, I'm going to have to get the autobiography out the way. Get that done. You wanted to get it out of your head so yeah. you can make room for <clears throat> speculative writing. Now, Ella was brilliant with this all the time. So I was living in Edinburgh at the time. She was living down, down here in sunny just south of Stratford-upon-Avon. And um, I would read what I'd, I'd written each day. And she was a brilliant editor. Yeah. Because she'd say, well, you've, you've, you're, you've been repetitive here and so on. So that, mm-hmm. she helped me write my uh, autobiography in, in, a, in a way, too, that, that I was really keen not to make it sound like a, a misery memoir. Yeah. Um, I tried to flog that. Uh, a, a few times um, and you, you make this sort of weird discovery in, in the world of writing uh, and, and, and I'm sure uh, a lot of uh, publishers might deny this but there are an awful lot of excellent writers out there Yes. and for you to make that breakthrough as a writer uh, to write a book I'd say is probably 80% chance Okay. It's just luck, um, and 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 I I was fortunate enough later on. Now, so that yeah, so I started writing my, my book, wrote my um, autobiography, tried to flog it, didn't succeed. Uh, started thinking about the walk a mile in my shoes campaign. Yes. Uh, <laughs> poor Ella, she's she's put up with a lot <laughs> um, because yeah, at the end of uh, group psychotherapy, the the aim had been for me to sort of uh, th- start thinking about moving down here. And, okay. um, and I was very fortunate. I had two years of really good group psychotherapy after I'd been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. Didn't cure me. Um, what was al- it like? Although I wanted it to, wanted to be cured. Um, the, the, probably the best way to describe it is... What, I got referred to group psychotherapy and I just assumed that I'd go straight in. Uh, no, sorry, I got a su- uh, referred for psychotherapy. I just assumed I'd go straight into it. Yes. Uh, but then after waiting for a year, I got interviewed by a guy. He said, no, no, I'm assessing you to see whether you're suitable for psychotherapy. Oh. And that was after a year. I think, and I'm thinking, I, I don't know if I could bear the thought of, of waiting another year. Or So <clears throat> I chatted to him uh, and I met him uh, another couple of times and he said, um, I think you'd be best suited for group psychotherapy. And I went, I don't want group psychotherapy. I want a psychotherapist all of my very own. You know, I want, I want just one-to-one. I want to be, basically, I, was, I just wanted to be cured. I, I, I just wanted not to be fucking crazy. Yeah. So. Totally understand. So this guy said, right, imagine uh, individual psychotherapy is like looking into one mirror. Group psychotherapy is like looking into lots of mirrors. And I like that. I like that a lot. Lots of different perspectives. Yeah. uh, And you're learning from other people who are in your situation. And it was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, It was very challenging. Exhausting. It it was twice a week. uh, Oh, wow. Okay. uh, One and a half hours each time. Um, So I'd walk across Edinburgh, have it at the Royal Edinburgh, which is a psychiatric hospital in Edinburgh, go home. Uh, I I would go whether I was um, mad, not mad, somewhere in between. Uh, I I was given a therapeutic dose of a drug that I I take now is called quetiapine, which is uh, an antipsychotic, which which also helped me through. But it it was great. And at the end of psychotherapy, I realized I wasn't going to be cured. 
I realised I wasn't going to go back to social work because that was going to drive me fucking nuts. <laughs> um, so I, I thought, what, what, what can I do? What, why, where, do my, where does my unique skill set lie? Yeah. So I thought, well, I can walk. I, yeah. I can talk. I get on with folk. I love writing. Um, I realised that mental health stigma was still massive in the UK. Mm. Ludicrously so. You know, people... We, we don't talk about it. You know, it's, it's the biggest killer... It's still the biggest killer of men under 45 in the UK. Yeah. Um, and, and still, we're, we're not doing anything about it. So I thought, wouldn't it be a great idea to walk around the edge of the UK to, to highlight the experience of people with mental health problems? Because many people with mental health problems feel like they're on the edge of society. Yes. So, <clears throat> that... Yeah. That's brilliant. The, the, yes, brilliant in its simplicity. With with, <laughs> with my, my with my lovely ally going, do you have to? <laughs> with me going, well, yeah, you know, I, I think so. I think that that's what I need to do. So before I went, um, I, I I started telling lots of people, and a, a couple of friends of mine, Jim and Maggie, they took me aside and said, you must read this book by Satish Kumar. Now, Satish Kumar was a Jain monk in the 1960s. Okay. And uh, so Satish Kumar decided to go on a peace march. Uh, He went to his guru and his guru said, "Uh, you won't be taking any money with you. He said, because if you take money with you, uh, you won't have the motivation to talk to people at the end of the day. And also, the only people you'll meet will be hoteliers. So I Ah. thought, if this man could walk from India into Pakistan when the two countries were at war, expect and receive wonderful hospitality. I thought, surely I would get this, something similar going around our lovely country. Yeah. And look at me, I'm starving to death. <laughs> For the folks at home, I'm a, I'm a well-nourished Westerner. <laughs> um, so that, that's what I decided to do. I decided to do it with, with no money. Um, but but yeah, writing all the time. So we're still. I'm keeping that that question at the back of my mind that, that about the writing. So yeah, just just, no to, just to jump into the, the writing bit, uh, I, I wrote blogs as I went around. Oh, brilliant! Uh, and uh, I was approached by Trigger Press, who are the the publishers of my book, and they said, um, have, "Have you written anything else? Would you be interested in writing writing a, a book?" And I was able to go, oh, here's what I made earlier. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, basically, I, I wrote that with some blogs bolted on, with some other stuff bolted on, and packaged that together into a book. And, and, and it's, it's, been, it's been well received. And it's, and, and, but the, the nice thing is that that's allowed me to start writing my own fiction. I mean, I haven't sold anything yet regarding oh. my fiction, but... Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm, that's one of the other things. But so the the walk around the edge of the UK, um, it was hilarious. Just as I was leaving, uh, we were in a, a pub on the north side of Edinburgh. It was called the 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 Crammond Brig Inn, and there were a few of my friends there. And Ella, <clears throat> still thinking. What the fuck is he doing? <laughs> and uh, she got one of my friends to take me outside. Yeah. Uh, and what, when she took me outside, when he took me outside, uh, Ella dived into my first aid kit uh, and stuck a fiver in it. 
inside a note that says, Jim made me do it, my, my friend. <laughs> so she's taken absolutely no responsibility for this, pl <laughs> planting a fiver on me. So um, off I went with my, I, I think I had 12 packets of super noodles, three packets of peanuts, peanut M&Ms, and unbeknown to me, a fiver. And uh, that fiver is still in that is still in the first aid kit. Brilliant. The first aid kit smells of cabbage, to be fair, but it's because <laughs> uh, I've you know I've it's it's lived with me for a long time in the wet, in the rain, oh, in the okay. snow, and uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's it, I I don't think it's a terribly functional first aid kit. I think you know this time when I go out, I might have to get myself a new first aid yeah, kit. Yeah, you might catch me. Yeah, I'll probably get berry berry or. <laughs> trench foot or something so um so that that was essentially the the what walk a mile in my shoes became yeah. um and and i think a lot of people expected me to be home after the first day yes i mean th there'd been a a couple of guys who'd uh while i was preparing they they went off and did something similar in in the uk they went off in the belief that the people of the UK would look after them and everything would be great. And their adventure finished after a week. They, they, they couldn't find right. anybody to look after them. At the same time, um, Radio 4 had a, a programme that said that 90% of people wouldn't knowingly invite somebody with a mental health problem into their home. Wow. And yeah, that's exactly what I thought. I thought, no, nah, I'm not having that. That's um, no. quite a... I'm thinking the people of the UK, we're, we're, we're better than that. Yeah. Mm. People want to help each other. Yeah. Face to face, people fall over themselves. Yeah. Um, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> I've had, the people I've spoken to, I've had positive feedback 100% of the time. Not, not 95, 99, 75 people have been supportive a hundred percent of the time whether it's been a, a a few kind words in a conversation whether it's a peanut butter sandwich or or a week in their family home uh, you know it's it's been it, it's been amazing um i remember that the, the first person i met uh when it, i'd crossed over the fourth road bridge which is uh i don't know i I'd, I'd uh I've driven over the Fourth Road Bridge a lot of times. It's, it's a bit like the Golden Gate Bridge, only it's Scottish. Yeah. So, they, so they don't give it a fancy name. It's, it's, it goes over the, the, the River Forth. It's a bridge. It's the Fourth Road Bridge. Whereas, uh, whereas they're all, in California, they're altogether more flowery. Oh, it's the Golden Gate Bridge. So in Scotland, yeah, they didn't have any of that. So I, I walked over it. it. It wobbles, which is the scary thing about such a massive bridge. Jeez. And there are cracks in... The, uh, the bridge as well is to allow it to expand and contract. Ah, I see. But good look, you can see the water 100 feet below, so that, you know, it helps with your bowel movements, I think. <laughs> um, so I got across the bridge, and uh, a bus stopped next to me, and this woman got off the bus, looked at me, and at the time I was just carrying a rucksack, a 35 kilo kilogram rucksack, uh, and I'm in my kilt, and... You know, I'm good to go. And she looked at me and she went, what on earth are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was the way the Scottish can. And so I just burbled and just basically told them, you know, everything I'd said to you that, you know, I, I wanted to walk around the edge of the UK talking to people and relying on them, them for hospitality just to show that, that people are great. And yeah. uh, she said, well, you can't stay with me. 
But here's 10 quid. Uh, get yourself something to eat in the restaurant in the village. Yeah. Um, but good, good luck with it. And if I, if I, you know, I've never met this person before. She's listened to my story and, you know, she, she wants, wants to help me on my way. So I went down into the village. Uh, I, I managed to sort of speak a bit more eloquently when I got to the, the pub. Uh, and before I even looked like I was going to spend this tenner, a, a voice piped up in the corner and it turned out this woman was a, an ex-social worker who'd been in abusive relationships. Wow. And she said, keep your tenner. I'm going to tell you my story and uh, I'm going to buy you lunch, uh, buy you tea and we'll, we'll have a, a, a good conversation. And it was lovely. And that, that made me realise that the walk a mile thing wasn't about walking a mile in my shoes. It was about walking a mile in everybody's shoes. Yeah. So she was brilliant. Uh, <laughs> fed me, watered me, sent me off on my way. Um, and the the following day, I, I won't I won't go by day by day because you'll be here for the next three weeks. <laughs> um, but the, the, the following day is when it really started. It properly started kicking off. The whole walk a mile thing kicked off. Mm. And. A lot of my, my mates take the piss out of me because the reason they believe I'm walking around the edge of the UK is because my ability to read a map is limited. <laughs> uh, so all I have to do is keep the seat to my right. Yeah. It's not a big job. Seat to my right. Day two of the adventure, I lost the sea. You got lost. <laughs> I lost the sea. I was on a thing called the Fife Coastal Path. Okay, yeah. Yeah. It, it it just vanished. It dis- for whatever reason, it disappeared. <laughs> so I'm, I'm in the middle of, uh, of, 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 sort of, of a five coastal town, and I bump into this group of people who were do- who were also doing uh, uh, they, they were doing a, a sponsored walk oh. for the MS Society. Brilliant. And I said, I've, I've lost the sea. It's day two. I've lost the sea. <laughs> and they said, No, it's all right. No, the, the the coastal path actually goes through this this town, and Brilliant. then and then you're fine. And we we, we got chatting, and um, the, I told them what I was doing, and uh, the, the the sort of head of the outfit, Lou. She she said uh, she, they went walking off, and they said, Oh, good luck with it all. And uh, then you could see a sort of little light bulb appear above her head she turns round and she comes up with a handful of change and goes stick that in your sporran and gives me a handful of change from a sporran for for, <laughs> for beer and whatnot on the on the way brilliant and she also said listen if you're stuck for a place at the end of today we'll pick you up take you back to ours and we'll we'll then dump you back on the road the following day how wow. does that sound and I'm going that sounds great <laughs> All the time. Bear in mind, when you start on an adventure like this, you're terribly British. Yeah. You don't want to be a bother. Your, 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 your MO is to be a bother. But at the same time, you don't want to be a bother. So it was like, I don't want to be a bother. And she, she said, no, I'll, I'll see you later on. So Amazing. true enough that I, I didn't have anywhere to stay at the end of that day. I could have stuck a tent up, but I thought, well, no, this is a brilliant offer. Plus so you get, get to hear someone's story, potentially. So I gave her a call, and it uh, turns out she has MS. She picked me up and took me back to her house. She's got MS, and she was doing a walk for the MS Society, and you just think, wow, you know, amazing woman. But we, we got back to her house, and the thing, you know, she, she's, she's gay, and they've got, they had a young boy. Uh, okay. 
And I was thinking, what the hell are you doing? You invi- invited me back to your house. I look like a bouncer in a skirt. You know, <laughs> I, I look like a proper knuckle dragger. And, you know, you, you've got a young son. What, what are you thinking? Yeah. And first of all, she said, well, I, I really trust my first impressions of folk. You know, uh, when, I, when I meet somebody, yeah, I, I, I pretty much get them. And I, I, I tend to stick to that. She said, um, also, she said, we don't ordinarily invite my brother-in-law and his big mate Steve back <laughs> to the house. Uh, so they're there. And between us, we reckon we could take you. Yeah. <laughs> so immediately put it, he's there. And she yeah. said, also, if you take a look at Facebook, there's a picture of you, that, and underneath it says, this is Kilted Chris. We're putting him up for tonight. If we're all found dead in our beds tomorrow, it's him what done it. Yeah. <laughs> so I went, oh, that, that, that's, a, that's a brilliant reference. And so we, we, it was great. She fed me. <coughs> spaghetti bolognese from a tea I had a shower you know I'd only been out for, for this was only my second day uh, but I, I felt like Scott of the Arctic eh? I felt yeah. I'd been out forever and I was, <laughs> I'd been against the elements and you know a shower was fantastic and, uh, and spaghetti bolognese was great and <coughs> gosh and so she sort of sent me on my way and she she also got in touch with friends and family who who saw me on my way up the coast and and it was mm. just it was just brilliant, you know, the, 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 the notion of life-affirming, you know, we say things are life-affirming, uh, and this, this really was it. It was just absolutely brilliant. Um, day in, day out, you, you wake up in the morning, and your first thought, sorry, my first thought was, today's going to be brilliant, and it's going to be brilliant. I, I don't know why it's going to be brilliant. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be great. I'm going to meet some f- great folk. And every day that happened. Um, Inspiring. Even still, you know, you're sort of further down the line, you're still thinking, God, I, I, I don't want to be a bother. And um, I remember I was going through a place called Bucky. Well, you know, it's a real Scottish name for, of a place, <laughs> Bucky. So um, I, was going, I was going through this, and there was this old guy, he was in his 80s. Yeah. And he looked across the street at me with a real quizzical look, sort of, what are you doing? Uh, I was sort of trying to, through the medium of interpretive dance, trying to explain to him that I was walking. And so we, we, we pulled up together and we started having a chat. But this guy, Donald Sutherland was his name. Not the actor, but somebody far, far more wonderful. Sounds like a name of character. Yeah. But Donald Sutherland, uh, Donny, was brilliant. And uh, he said, you've got to come back to my house for a cup of tea. And I remember saying the words, I don't want to be a bother. And he sort of looked at me as if I was mad and went, you're coming back to my house for some tea. So I went back and his wife was there and it was, the the look she gave him and me was hilarious. It was like, you've brought another one home, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was brilliant because we were, we were constantly talking and the, 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 the lovely thing about him was he'd been a <clears throat> a lighthouse keeper. Oh, right. So my feeling is, because he'd been a lighthouse keeper, he was probably the loneliest man in the world for some of the time. Yeah. And uh, so he's making up for it now by inviting weird men back to the house. <laughs> but it, it, was, it was so funny because 
his, his wife was sort of throwing sandwiches at me and she's saying, do you want, um, and, and she, she'd vaguely point towards the sort of pantry. Do you want to? And he goes, aye, he does, he does. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they fed me so much and, and I went away with, you know, God's own packed lunch. Yeah. And you just go away thinking, that was just fantastic. This man, I, I'd never met before in my entire life. His first thought was, what's an Englishman doing in a skirt? Uh, but but his, his, his first thought was, I'm going to help this guy on his way. Yeah, he had a lot of respect for you and yeah. wanted to help you. Well, it was just that desire to connect. It was that desire to... To to you, know, I don't know. Help help me. Um, he he told me a a, a real spooky story of a of um of a lighthouse, and he said that that they were all whenever they were on the lighthouse, they were always very mindful of. I can't remember the name of this particular lighthouse, but what had happened was um, four guys had gone out on 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 their shift, and and they go out for about a week, and then they come back. Uh, the the there's a swap over of a shift. Okay. But the so the the new shift came over, and they found the table set, food out, drinks out, and none of the lighthouse keepers could be found anywhere. They'd gone, they'd vanished. There was no way off the island, the 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 lighthouse because. The, the, the boat that they used was the only boat that came. So nobody knows what happened. I mean, well, you know, it must have been terrible weather and they just got wet, swept off the rocks. But, Crazy. but that was the, the story he told me. And, you know, sort of story you take away with you. But yeah, amazing man. The, 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 the lovely and very sad thing about this man is um, a couple of years later, his son got in touch with me and he said that his dad had sadly died. <clears throat> and he said that he'd sort of trolled the internet to see if he could find anything about his dad and he'd found my blog that I'd written about him oh how special and, and they'd read that as a part of the eulogy uh, that, that you know his dad was this wonderful man who just fell over himself to, to look after folk so that was brilliant that was just uh, that's incredible yeah so yeah really really lovely <clears throat> but I'll, I'll tell you while I'm on the on the walk, I'll tell you the story that kind of for me sums up the walk more than anything. Sure, yeah. Um, I was walking uh, towards in the in the direction of Inverness. So there's a thing called the Murray Firth, and it's it's just a big gouge out of the land, and it's like a yeah, it, it, it's just a, a massive inlet. And I was walking along the coast, and I was heading towards a, a village called Crimmond. And this guy stopped next to me in his car and he said, I'm going to give you a lift. And I said, no, 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 you're not. And uh, I explained why he wasn't going to give me a lift. <clears throat> and uh, he said, oh, he said, I live in Crimmond. I'll, I'll maybe see you there. I said, yeah, great. Uh, he said, it's eight miles up that hill. He said, it's a bit of a way and you've got that big rucksack. I said, it'll be fine. I've come hundreds of miles already. It'll be fine. Yeah. So um, about three hours later, I sort of trudge in and he, he's standing waiting for me on this, this post, postcard of a village green they've got. It's just a tiny little patch. And he's, he's going, so what do you do now? And I went, um, what do I do now? I said, um, well, sometimes if I had donations, I'll, I might stay in a bed and breakfast. Yeah. Um, 
sometimes you know I've got the tent uh, because you've got the right to roam in Scotland <coughs> you can put your tent up anywhere you like you can actually walk anywhere you like apart from the railway lines brilliant um, but you uh, and you can put your tent up anywhere you like as long as it's more than 20 metres from a residential home Makes so sense. so that's cool I said but sometimes people put me up for the night and he said uh, sort of like, uh, my flat's really small he said but uh, so you can put your tent up in my garden, put all your stuff in that. But I'll make you, I'll make you something for tea. Brilliant. I went, brilliant, fantastic. Constantly pinching myself, thinking, you know, this isn't normal. You know, we're, we're constantly told that people don't trust each other, they don't like each other. <clears throat> we're constantly looking for difference between each other. And this guy, he just wanted to help. So put my tent up in lightning speed in his garden. Uh, Got in, invited into his, his house. We had fish fingers and chips for tea. Amazing. Uh, I felt like an absolute hypocrite because uh, my brother had been following me and he'd got he bought himself a, a, a 4D TV. Okay, yeah. And he was, he was telling social media all about how wonderful it was. And I go, that's ridiculous, John. The world's in 4D and in sound and surround sound and feely vision and... All this, uh, you know, I was quite, I was quite judgmental, and I went <laughs> into this guy's house, and uh, the first thing I saw was a sort of forty-inch TV on his wall, <laughs> and I was sort of, oh my god, moving pictures in a box. Who'd have thought? And so I sort of just pull, pull to this big thing, and <clears throat> so I felt like a hypocrite. Um, anyway, we 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 chatted, and we we didn't watch too much TV, um, and I went went to my my bed, and about uh, seven thirty in the morning. There was a little knock on my tent, and it was this guy Kenny, mm. and he said, um, "I've run you a, a bath. Uh, no, sorry, I've I've made you some uh, breakfast, yeah. uh, just tea and toast. Uh, but you know, uh, but it's been great meeting you, um, and I'll uh, I'll see you later. Good luck with it." So I'm sitting there eating my tea and toast and thinking, "This is this is lovely. Uh, this is this is great." And uh, while I was looking around, I realised. I wasn't in Kenny's garden. Uh, in Scotland, they have communal drying areas, uh, so it's a big area where people hang the clo- hang the washing out. Yeah, and I was absolutely nowhere near Kenny's back door because I'd been putting my tent up in such a rush. I was about five feet away from his next door neighbour's door. Right, and I'm thinking, what would you do if you found me in your garden? Yeah, <laughs> you know. References to bouncers, bouncer in a skirt, and yeah, you know, most people would say, "Darling, get the blunderbuss," or yeah. something very similar. So, <clears throat> while I'm panicking, stuffing things as well, away as fast as I can, and you know, I was about to start taking the tent down. This woman appeared at her door, and she was a woman in her sort of early sixties, and she went. Um, I looked at her, and she looked at me, and I. I thought she looked angry. Uh, I assumed she looked angry. Yeah. And so I started babbling. I said, I'm really sorry. I, I can't apologise enough. Kenny said it'd be okay for me at camp here. I didn't realise I was something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and she went, what are you talking about? I said, Kenny, your next neighbour said it'd be okay, but I'll be gone in no time. She said, look, stop, stop. She said, I've run you a bath. I was wondering if you wanted any bubbles in it. Yeah. <laughs> I went, bubbles, bubbles would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Jesus, you know, 
That was her first thought. This woman's first thought, man in her garden, looking like a bouncer, her first thought was to run him a bath. Brilliant. Not to phone the police. So, obviously I had my bath, and if I'm perfectly honest, my second breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, Definitely. I said, what, what on earth made you do that? Yeah. <clears throat> and it was funny because she didn't seem to fully understand the question. She said, well, I've been camping before, and the thing that I miss the most is a bath. So I thought you'd be no different. Brilliant. I said, but I'm a complete stranger. You run a bath for a complete stranger. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was, it was funny. We, we sort of chatted more, and uh, she told me, <clears throat> that she'd been a, a carer for a friend of hers <clears throat> who'd sadly recently died. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was pretty cut up about it. And she said, you know, uh, it, it, was, it was very difficult, that, that part of her life. And, and she said, I'm, I'm, I'm finished caring for folk now because it's too hard. Wow, similar background. And I went, um, you've just run a bath for a complete stranger. I don't think you've finished caring for folk yet. And she went, yeah, fair cop. <clears throat> but it was it was it was lovely because we, we we chatted probably for another hour maybe two hours, and off I went into the sunset and she gave me one of those sort of life depend upon depends upon it hugs you know that that you you occasionally get from folk and it was just lovely to have been part of her world and part of Kenny's world yeah uh, but that that's the sort of thing that goes on all the time you know so when. When I return to the, the sacred path, uh, I'll be going back to Port Maddock in North Wales. Brilliant. Uh, in, in the middle of November. A lot of people say you're mental going out in the middle of November. And I, I love the cold. So, I'm exactly the same. So, yeah, really looking forward to, to a bit of uh, the cold. But also just looking forward to seeing folk and chatting to folk and, you know, hearing what they've got to say about the world and... And I, <clears throat> because it's been a while since I've been on the road, because I, I, I've been distracted by a whole variety of things. Like uh, meeting me. <laughs> <laughs> this sort of thing. Um, you know, uh, I'm wondering in, in this post-Brexit world, will people be less trusting? Mm. I, don't think, I don't think they will. Uh, but, I, but that is a sort of question mark, you know, that you know, maybe, you know, as a society, we've become sort of less trusting of folk. I think... Um... I think you're right, like that um, that kindness that people have on the inside of them um, and that hospitality that people very naturally have. I think, like I say, uh, I think on the surface of it, we are very mistrusting and yeah. it's almost like uh, implicit, it's almost implied, you know, like stranger danger, yeah, like yeah, all that yeah. sort of stuff that like <clears throat> people other than your own family and friends is bad. Like, yeah, yeah. But I think um, it it says something about you, Chris, like about how you are as a person that um, these people are responding to you in this way, and you know they're reaching out to you and they're saying, "Look, like I know I don't know you, but I just really want to help you out." Yeah. So one says something about you, I think, and how personable you are. But I also think you're right. Um, people do genuinely want to help people. Kindness yeah. always yeah. wins in my eyes. I think so. And I don't think that's ever going to go. I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, people are just... It, it seems to be... I, I think we are hardwired to care for each other. I think we are social beasties. 
Yeah. And, and I think we, you know, we'll continue with that. <clears throat> um, I, I had to stop. Uh, there, there were a few bits in, in the walk. Um, after group psychotherapy, I'd sort of um, felt that I was slightly more cured than I believed that, than, than was actually the case. Okay. And, yeah, I, I, I went through some periods of, of dissociation that were quite challenging. And the, the lovely Ella would drop everything down here and drive how many hours and miles up to Scotland to, to ensure I was, I was safe. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> very difficult, uh, very, very challenging for, for her more, more than me, I think. Because when I dissociate, when I have that feeling of, of being out of my body, um, it, it <clears throat> I don't feel any pain. Um, I just feel disconnected. Yeah. Um, but we know I'm vulnerable at these times. You know, in traffic, I'm a nightmare. You know, uh, uh, the camber on a road becomes an incredible challenge um, because my perception's gone all to shit. Yeah. Stairs are a mystery. Like again, because my my perception's gone. So we had to had to keep me me safe. Um, <clears throat> so she would come up and and make uh, and and sort of help me on my way. Yeah. Um, the other thing that, that happened was I got a thing called Lyme disease. Okay. I don't know if you've heard of Lyme disease. It's usually from tick bites. Exactly. Um, and I had a very weird experience because first of all, it, it felt like I'd been dissociating for a while and it felt I was, I, I just wasn't right. And so I was, I was back here in, in sort of sunny south trying to work out what was going on. Um, and then I tried, I went on a dummy run uh, to go on, we went on the West Highland Way. Uh, sure. <clears throat> just to see how things were going. And I'd also got myself a new trolley. I got on my trailer, yeah. who I call Hubert. <laughs> and uh, Hubert now goes everywhere. The idea with Hubert is, instead of all the weight going through my back, it now goes through the wheels of the trailer. Okay, so so I I went back to the the West Highland Way and before very long I realised that something wasn't right. Um, I it felt like I was dissociating. Everything was unreal. Uh, I was in a bed and breakfast. Um, no, it, was, it wasn't a bed and breakfast. It was a youth hostel. And uh, Lou had to continue. She only had a certain amount of time off work, and she had to she had to get back it, it was Lou who, who I met at the beginning she no way who'd come walking with me so she had to get away so Ella <clears throat> was in in touch and she was saying right I've, I've got you uh, an appointment to see a doctor so went to see this doctor in the Highlands and uh, I went through all my symptoms and my symptoms were quite varied uh Probably the, the the main one there was a lot had a lot of joint pain. Mm. Um, every time I closed my eyes, I fell over, which is yeah, that, that's not great. No, <clears throat> and uh, but I also told him yeah about my mental health problems, and this guy took some blood and uh, you know chatted to me and uh, he said he said I I I know what you are. And I said what am I? He said you're a spotter, aren't you? Now, I don't know if you've heard of a spotter. 
No. A spotter is a secret shopper for doctors. Oh. I went, no, no, I'm not a spotter for doctors. <laughs> I'm a patient. <laughs> I'm a patient and I'm ill. And every time, he said, I can't see anything wrong with you. I said, every time I close my eyes, I fall over. I, he got me to do baby steps and I couldn't, I couldn't do baby steps. So I tried to do baby steps and fall over. Um, so he, as I remember him waving me off saying, remember to write a good report about me. Oh my God. And I'm thinking, there's a reason you're somewhere in the Highlands, mate, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> Don't see anyone. Yeah, it's important you keep you away from people, isn't it? So, but, but that was when we came, so we came down south, uh, I saw uh, a GP here, yeah. who'd never seen Lyme disease in their entire life, and said, I think you've got Lyme disease, sent me away to be seen by a specialist, got Lyme disease. And it's really serious. Really serious. Um, and and one of the big problems is is, is psychological. There, there's uh, a, a lot of people who get Lyme disease. They they have that feeling of dissociation. So I was I was dissociating not not because I dissociate. It was because it, it was the Lyme disease causing it. Also, Lyme disease gave me agoraphobia. And there's me thinking, oh, bloody hell. I was just thinking, well, it's just another part of my mental ill health. Yeah. Agro-bloody-phobia. Well, that's going to be really useful when I'm walking around the edge of the UK. Yeah. Because I'd put my tent up in the garden to, to, to air it. And I, I said to Ella, I can't go outside. Uh, I can't get the tent back in because I can't go outside. And <clears throat> so that was, it was all weird. But yeah, we finally got that treated. And Brilliant. And and it was good, but <clears throat> I'd lost a lot of fitness, and we we decided that I'd start looking at other. Well, I started looking at other stuff. I, I think you know I, I'm just interested in stuff, and uh, I saw that there's an organisation organisation in Scotland, See Me, and they were running courses on on people becoming mental health campaigners, Brilliant. and the courses were free, <clears throat> and and I thought. It couldn't hurt. And I, I sort of saw myself as going along as a sort of a wise mind and sort of spreading my knowledge to the, the younger folk there. And um, and before I knew it, uh, See Me wanted to get behind uh, a campaign that I sort of made up on the spot. Yeah. And it was about <clears throat> distilling the success of the coastal walk into a series of walks around Scotland where we would get people... Uh, mental health professionals and mental health punters together to literally walk a mile in each other's shoes. Brilliant. The the thing that I've noticed on social media is that both groups have really a really big presence. the The problem is there's not 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 an awful lot of overlap. So I I thought wouldn't it be great <clears throat> if we could invite these people along. Nobody's none the why. You don't know if the person you're walking with is, has a mental health problem or if they're they're a mental health professional. Mm. The only way we divided people up is we we had a t-shirts, and so one t-shirt had a green logo, one t-shirt had a red logo, and we just gave people t-shirts randomly. So they stick the t-shirt on, and I'd say, uh, go and find somebody with a different coloured logo. And make make sure it's a stranger. Speak to a stranger. Walk walk a mile in their shoes. So you'll speak for half the time, and and they'll speak for half the time, and just enjoy each other's uh, 
company. Brilliant. And yeah, it worked like a dream. Um, we had about 50 events around Scotland and, uh, you know, it was, it was a really big campaign and oh. it was it was lovely. Yeah. So yeah, that, that was a, that was quite a distraction. Yeah. And uh, I headed that up and, you know, we, we talked about it a lot and we, we tried to get people involved in conversations and we asked people at the end of it, what was it like, you know, not knowing who you were speaking to, whether they were punter or professional and people loved that. And, and I remember the, the one that stood out was a, a woman was, was saying, Chris, Chris, I want you to meet my social worker. And, and her social worker was there and she said, yeah, I haven't come as her social worker today, but I've actually come as a, as a punter. She said, I've got mental health problems. Oh, wow. And you can see the, 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 this woman who was a punter go, I didn't know you had mental health problems. So it, it was kind of blurring the edges. We, you know, you're not necessarily either a, a punter or a professional you can be both yeah and that was that was that was great for, for folk to see so that was that was very exciting and we did that for i don't know best part of a couple of years um amazing so yeah that was uh that was the the let's walk let's walk a mile campaign Brilliant. and uh so that yeah that that went well um so <laughs> in the meantime i I came down here, got married, and you know, we now got to this point where we're thinking it's it's time for me to get get back on the road. Do what you love again. Yeah, um, you know, and I and I was I guess distracted by by the 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 campaign, the Let's Walk a Mile campaign, because it was it was a really groovy campaign, and you know, for a long time I'd hoped to bring it into into England, Northern Wales. Sorry, mm. Northern Ireland, Wales, uh, and and get people doing it. But setting up a charity is 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 quite a bugger. You know, it's, it takes a lot of energy, a lot of time, mm. and if you're dissociating in that time, you 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 you're constantly playing catch up. And it reminded me a lot of of being a social worker when I would go off uh, work, be be ill, and then come back to work, and you're constantly trying to catch up with what's happened to your clients and. It, it was difficult and so it, it, it became kind of joyless and I thought well yes. what, what, what am I best at and what do I think will get the message across best and that's the walk the, the reason one of the other reasons I didn't mention why, why the, the walk I think sort of ticks the boxes is that organisations like Mind like Time to Change like See Me yes. they will run events and they will invite the same old people to the events. They will, they will invite people who follow them on on the on Twitter, on Facebook. That uh, they will invite people who are on their mailing list, and they're not reaching out to the others. Mm-hmm. The others of which I'd say is probably seventy percent of the population who don't talk about mental health, who don't engage with the whole thing. Yeah. But by walking around the edge of the UK. I talk to everybody. <clears throat> so when I'm engaging with somebody, it's completely random. I'm, I'm speaking with people who often have, have never spoken about mental ill health in their lives. Brilliant. One of the most sort of weird experiences for me was uh, I was in North Wales and a guy came up to me and I, I, just, I was just, Wales is beautiful. 
<clears throat> and I was just looking out to sea and, and I was just saying hello to people as they went past and yeah. and this guy stopped and said you know asked me what I was doing and and I told him and one of the questions I asked him was uh, have you know, have you been touched by mental ill health at all you members of your family friends any of that and he said no no not really no nothing like that and we chatted more and I think he'd been a minor and all this kind of stuff and we were talking about unemployment and and then we got back, it was almost at the end of the conversation. Um, in, in social work, you call it the, the doorstep phenomenon. So basically, when you go and see people, very often they won't talk about the thing that's worrying them most. Oh, you've got a visitor here. <laughs> oh, no, <they're> early. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, very, very often they won't talk about the thing that worries them the most until you get under the doorstep and they go, bloody hell, I haven't talked about the thing that worries me the most. Here it is. Um, so this guy, just just as I was, as leaving, he, he was about to leave, he said, I didn't meet my mum for 10 years uh, because she was in the local uh, psychiatric hospital. Yes. I went, oh my God. And you, here's you, you've just said. You thought that he didn't have anything. He, he said he, <laughs> he never met anybody. So. We're going to have to finish there. Chris has got a guest, so thank you, Chris, for joining us. You're very welcome. Till next time, see you. Yes. Hello. Hello. Welcome back. Um, This is almost like the part two, I guess, to our conversation. Um, So I wanted to talk to Chris a little bit about um, his borderline personality disorder and a little bit of the, I guess, the symptoms and what it's like living with that Mm -hmm. and some of the areas around the stigma and labels that come with it. Okay. So, yeah, um, ready. Yeah, uh, I got... I, I'd been diagnosed with anxiety and depression for years. Mm. And it was wrong. Uh, I had a, a GP who enthusiastically gave me more and more anti-depre- antidepressants. Um, I was on a drug called Venlafaxine. And... Finally, I was on one and a half times the maximum dose. Um, the world becomes a kind of weird, blurry place on one and a half times the maximum dose of venlafaxine. Um, yeah, I remember. I think it'd been a year since I'd seen my GP. Came back in, it and and I remember him saying, "Oh, I thought things were really good, Chris. I haven't seen you for a year." I was thinking, I couldn't find the fucking doctor's surgery. That's why, because uh, I, was, I was the world was so blurry. Anyway. Yeah, I finally he finally referred me to a psychiatrist, and uh, she she was great. Um, she was challenging. We'd have conversations, very respectful, you know. So you know, because I've got a degree in psychology, because I had my masters, she she it felt like it was almost like we we were discussing a client, and that client was me. But um, and we we experimented with a variety of drugs and we finally settled on this drug quetiapine which is an antipsychotic oh um there's somebody just coming to deliver something yeah it's okay um, bear with us okay so yeah i was on one and a half times the maximum dose of venlafaxine the world was a very blurry place uh i got referred to a psychiatrist who was pretty good very respectful and uh we tried different drugs, and I ended up on a, a drug called quetiapine, which is which uh, <laughs> is referred to as an antipsychotic. Okay. Um, but you know it is what it is, and it helped. Um, 
one of my big problems was that I found sleeping very difficult. Okay. And so I could stay awake for up to six days. Gosh. And after six days of being awake, I can be quite fucking mad. So that that was a, a, a challenge. So that 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 helped with that. Um, one week she said, uh, "Okay, Chris, go away this week, and I want you to think about what you think you might have." Yeah. And you know, when you come back, we can have a conversation about it. So I I went away, and from my knowledge, I I thought my biggest problem is dissociation. Uh, I thought, well, I came back. I said, "I think I've got." some manner of dissociative disorder and she said well yeah but that's only part of what you've got she said you, you the symptoms you display are pretty much classic borderline personality disorder what we would call borderline personality disorder she said she, it's a label she doesn't like using because of the, the stigma attached to it <clears throat> and I remember thinking um, as a social worker I'd encountered people being referred to as with the label borderline personality disorder and you you would see your colleague's shoulders slump because there was a real case of what the fuck do we do with these people we don't know what to do with people with borderline personality disorder interesting because yeah, they, they they can be challenging they can in in all kinds of sort of imaginative ways uh, but but it's a complex condition um so i remember sitting there thinking Borderline personality disorder. I, you know, I just give me anything else. I don't, you know, I don't want that. I remember my uh, psychology lecturer, uh, who did uh, the clinical psychology part. She described it as the dustbin diagnosis. Basically, the diagnosis they give to people with mental health problems who they don't know what to label them as. All right. The reason borderline personality disorder came about, the actual label, was that in psychiatry there's neurosis and psychosis so neurosis is kind of your depressive anxiety disorders and psychosis is more your sort of schizoaffective disorders your schizophrenia uh your where you hallucinate um you you perceive the world in a different way and interestingly that those those two labels they're a lot blurrier than, than i i think first realized so they had neurosis, they had psychosis, and they still had this group of people who were persisting in being willfully mad, who didn't fit into either of these categories. Okay. So that's where the borderline came from, borderline between psychosis and neurosis. Ah. Um, personality disorder, because they felt it wasn't organic, they felt it was something that, that, had, that had happened to somebody that had caused them to, to be there. It was like a trauma. <clears throat> yeah, but but as time went by, they, they began to treat it like it was just people being willfully mad and uh, and <clears throat> the judgment around it, you know, that the people with borderline personality disorder were dishonest, uh, complicated, we, they, they would use services too much, um, they be manipulative, um, that that kind of that kind of label was around. Now, people with borderline personality disorder can be like that, but imagine if you're you're ill, you know you're ill, and you're trying to get a a service, and every time you go to the service, 
people are pushing you away. Yes. Um, you're going to become kind of desperate. So you're going to... The, the, one of the, the, the big flaws in uh, mental health services just now is, is you need to fit into the Goldilocks zone. If you're too mad, you won't get therapy. Yes. But if you're not mad enough, you won't get therapy. So you get punters, often people with borderline personality disorder, trying to fit into these services to be, to be what, what they believe the services want them to be. Mm. And, it, and it's hell. I, I remember, um, because I, I was with my condition, and I, I, I'm much improved on this now, I, I, I was almost intolerant of emotional disharmony. And I remember once being in psychotherapy and uh, two of the people in the group, they were disagreeing completely with each other. You know, there was no, it was completely black and white. Mm. You know, it was either this or that. And my, the psychotherapist sort of stopped everyone and she said, Chris, did you see what happened there? I went, uh, no, not really. She said, so-and-so has said that. So-and-so has said the opposite. And yet somehow you've managed to agree wholeheartedly with them both. And I go, yeah, yeah, yeah gu- guilty as charged. Because, so, yeah, I often described it as being a whore. You know, I'll be whatever you want me to be. Yeah. So that's where the, the lying comes in, I guess, is that you believe people want you to be a certain way and you try and fit in with it. Interesting. So you're, you, you don't have faith in, in your own self. So you create an identity to fulfill that. But, it, but it's transient. It's, it, it, you, you'll be that person one second and then you'll be the person you believe the next person wants you to be the next second. Uh, because all you're doing is trying to keep uh, emotional discord at an absolute minimum because you know that that, that can cause you internal harm. And in my case, I guess you know it would it might cause me to dissociate. It might, uh, and but but I hadn't quite made that that proper link. But so that was all interesting. Yeah. Um. The the thing that I don't know about you. Whenever you've been diagnosed with anything, the first thing you do is you go to Doctor Google. And yeah. so I went to Dr. Google. Dr. Google told me that people with mental health problem uh, with uh, borderline personality disorder are manipulative, uh, dangerous, and uh, all these things. Uh, but, uh, but also it told me that there was a, a peer group, a peer support group oh, that met up in Edinburgh when I was living in Edinburgh at the time. So I thought, great, I'll go along to that. But before I went, I, I thought I'd have a chat with my uh, psychiatrist. And I said, look, I found these people. They meet up regularly in Edinburgh. Won't that be great? Um, and she went, no, no, you mustn't meet up with these people. These are very, very sick people. I went, hey, I resemble that remark. Yeah. And it's just, it's like she just didn't quite at that moment have the insight to say, think, oh my God, I've just, I, I don't know what I'm actually saying to him. Oh, obviously, at the end of the day, I went to this group. I met up with this group of people Needless to say, they were fantastic. Needless to say that the conversations we had were incredibly validating because they had experienced the world in a similar way to me. It made you think like you weren't Yeah, alone. yeah. And, and you know, it, it helped me think I'm not just being willfully mad. 
you know. Um, one, of, one of the other symptoms, um, I, I, I became part of a, um, an experiment um, about borderline personality disorder. And this guy was looking at symptoms, he's a psychiatrist. And he, uh, he, 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 before he asked me lots of questions, he said, you can ask me anything you like about me. Brilliant. And uh, so I said, what, what makes you a specialist? He said, well, you know, I, I've started doing work on it. And I said, great. I said, so what, what training have you had on borderline personality disorder? And he said, um, what, including my, my medical training? I mm. said, yeah. He said, and my postgrad psychiatry training? I said, yeah. And he said, you know, and continuing professional uh, development. Pre- development training. I went, uh, yeah. He said, about half a day. I went, shit, really? And you're the specialist? He said, yeah, it's not good, is it? I said, no, no. I said, I said that, that's, that's pretty poor. But one of the study, part of the study he was doing was he stuck me in front of a computer screen. And on the computer screen, uh, human faces came up. Uh, it was 100 in total. And uh, all I had to do was press a button that said, trust, not trust. That's all I had to do. Now, I thought being a hippy-dippy social worker type, I'd be all over the trust. Yeah, I trust everybody. I love everyone. And uh, the fascinating thing was, at the end of that experiment, out of 100, I'd pressed not trust 99 times. The only reason I'd pressed trust once was because I thought I'd look like a nutter if, I didn't pre- if I'd pressed it 100 times. Oh but but I didn't trust any of them. But that, that was a real eye-opener for me, that, that suddenly I, 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 you know, because I wanted to be authentic for the experiment. Yeah, you uh, wanted to press what you thought yeah. was right to press for you. Yeah, at that moment, I wasn't trying to jump through hoops. I wasn't trying to be something that I thought he wanted me to be. I wanted to be, my, my aim was to be authentic for the experiment. And fuck me, that was, it was a real eye-opener. So that was that was something that I took with me when I started the walk. You know, I thought, gosh, you know, that's it. So it comes with a general sort of mistrust of others. Now I, I can honestly say I trust everybody. Um, Interesting. And, and I don't think that puts me in any kind of danger. You know, the, I, I, I just trust folk and it, it, it's, it comes back to me in absolute spades. People are brilliant. But it was a challenge to begin with, you know, because I think... Because with my condition, which is labelled borderline personality disorder, um, <coughs> trusting is difficult. <coughs> but now, I mean, Ella helped immensely with that. Yeah. Um, and we, we had to explore that. And, and what one of the, the amazing moments uh, in our relationship, and it sounds so mundane, she said... Um, we we were, we booked a hotel, and she said, "Do you want? Um, shall we have room service and have steak and chips in bed, or shall we go to this restaurant which would be sending the steak and chips up that's underneath the hotel, or sh- should we do that in the restaurant?" Now, I froze. It was. Uh, I was like a, a rabbit, literally like a rabbit in the headlights, because I didn't know what the right answer was. I, I, I couldn't 
I didn't know what she wanted, and therefore I didn't. I, I had no answer, and she was amazed at my response. My absolute frozen. I had nothing in response. Interesting. And and you know she wanted me to say what I wanted, and it took us years to get me to the point where I was able to say, yeah, this is what I want to do, uh, without contorting myself into weird shapes to try and work out what she wanted and all the people around me what they wanted you've gained that self-authenticity yeah um i mean occasionally you know i, I will occasionally sort of slip into that and think that you know it, it is easier for me to go with the flow because it, it feels that there's no uh there's nothing challenging about it but but that that's part of where i think the 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 belief that people with borderline personality disorder are lying they're not lying willfully they're not they're not, yeah. they're not sort of bond villains sitting there scheming yeah. and wringing their hands they're lying to to save themselves from pain it's a misperception yeah i totally understand okay. that so uh, so you can understand why people around them go fuck I, I don't know what what's going on for them i don't but but for me, you know, that's that's why I would lie is is to just to protect myself from pain. Uh, and the, the the there's the talk about people with borderline personality disorder being manipulative. The reason why they say people with borderline personality disorder are manipulative is because they're really really shit at it. You know, sometimes they'll want somebody to do something, but they'll do it in such a clumsy way. Um, that the, everybody, the whole world and their dog can say, <laughs> you're, you're, you're trying to get me to do this. Instead of just saying to somebody, will you make me dinner? Or, you know, people, they, they might say, well, I'm ill, or I'm hungry. They, they, won't, they, they, won't, they find it difficult to be, they can find it difficult to be straight. And so people with borderline personality sort of, as I say, they're not mani- manipulative. They're shit at being manipulative. Oh. And that's why that that's when it jumps out. So, and also the label. The label is terrible. Can you imagine you've suffered trauma in your early life, only to be told that you've got something that's called a personality disorder, something that's a defect, something that is yeah. up, down to you. That you, if only you could pull yourself together, sort yourself out. You you wouldn't have this. It implies that there's something wrong with you. Yeah, yeah, but but you, it's something that you're doing deliberately. Yeah. So that that's weird, uh, and that's why I think we need to get rid of the label altogether. Uh, it's been replaced with uh, emotionally unstable personality disorder, which is every bit of shit. Because <laughs> you really like to be told that you're emotionally unstable. Yeah, it makes you really stable. Yeah, it, it makes everybody relax, um, and. See, the emotionally unstable bit too, because, and, and, and I'm talking about myself here. Yeah. You can spend a lot of time jumping through all the hoops that you believe other people want you to jump through just to be the person you want that you think they want you to be. When it gets to a point, it, it, it can become intolerable it's because it's so stressful because you, 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 you spend all your time not being you. In mm. fact, you don't even know who you are. And, and, and that can be so stressful that you, I often think of it like getting an unburstable balloon, blowing it up and trying to squash it between your fingers. Bits will squirt up between your fingers. 
uh, and that's what I think about the emotions escaping with with uh, with borderline personality disorder. You you can't contain that, uh, and that'll come out that'll come out in sadness, in in anger, completely misplaced. You know, so you'll find yourself crying in uh, situations where everybody's going, I, I don't know why he's crying, but it's because you've built it up over so much time. Um, angry outbursts, you know, similarly. Self-harm, you know, I, I've self-harmed at times of anger, upset. Um, just just to, it, you know, self-harm is a, you know, that's, I mean, that's another sort of weird old thing. Um and, and when, when people ask, why, why do you self-harm? Yeah. I think there are as many reasons for self-harming as there are people who self-harm. Uh, I self-harm for different reasons. Uh, it's, it's funny, it's like being an alcoholic. I, I haven't self-harmed for probably about a year now. But I see myself as a lapsed self-harmer. I, I, I think I will always be somebody who self-harms. Um, and, and it is very, very tempting uh, at times. Um, but I, I've self-harmed to punish myself. I've right. self-harmed to feel. And that, that's where I'll talk about dissociation, I guess. Dissociation is uh, something that, that is hugely uh, underdiagnosed in the UK. Massively underdiagnosed. Mm. Um, and dissociation, for me... Uh, it first happened when I was being sexually abused. And basically, it's your brain's ability to remove you from a situation. Um, so, you're being abused, your brain just says, that's too stressful to us to even consider. Yes. I'm going to take you away from that. Um, and ultimately, at those times, you feel nothing. You experience the world in a way that you feel that you're not real. You experience the world in a way that you feel, not only are you not real, the world isn't real. So nothing's real. Um, for me, that has been a switch that can't be unswitched. So uh, I regularly uh, and frequently dissociate. Some, sometimes, very occasionally, there's a trigger. Most of the time there isn't. So I can dissociate when um, I'm happy, when I'm sad, when I'm anything in between. Uh, and it's inconvenient. Uh, mm. And so, I, as I say, I lose about a third of my life to it. Um, <clears throat> and what we do when I'm dissociating is we'll put me in a darkened room, loud American cop shows, wait for it to pass. Uh, and the longest it's lasted is about three months. And wow. by and large, they last, the episodes last for about three days now. Um, and and it's, it is, it's tricky. Uh, and probably the best way to describe it um, is my emotionally normally I'm a really sort of cuddly loving guy uh, but when I dissociate I feel nothing so with Ella my lovely wife now uh, she knows me she knew me as a cuddly loving guy yesterday today I'm dissociating if I put my hand on her while I'm dissociating it actually feels like I'm handling meat it is that, that I'm that far removed from her Right. But it's this sort of over protectiveness, you know, it's like having an overzealous um, protector in your brain that's just trying to keep you safe. Um, What's from, to look after you? Yeah, so that, that's probably the most difficult thing. And, and that's the thing that I have to deal with. And that's what I'll be dealing with when I go back on the road, you know, and, and we will be 
keeping me safe and sometimes Ella will have to come to my rescue yes and sometimes we'll just batten down the hatches and stick me in a tent and wait for it wait for it all to pass so it's it's tricky but I think the world needs to know more about dissociation I think doctors don't know about it um there are still doctors out there who believe it doesn't exist I don't know how they can manage that. It's a bit like saying cancer doesn't exist. You know, it's 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 a it's a thing, um, yeah. and it, and it's it's difficult for for a lot of people. So, yeah. So, so I think I, I've yeah borderline personality disorder is a condition that it shouldn't have that label. I think if anything, it should be related to the trauma that's happened to somebody because I've never met anybody with borderline personality disorder who hasn't had something terrible happen to them. Um, So complex PTSD has been floated, but I I think, I I think it's, yeah, it it is important that that we, we look at the trauma aspect of it. So yeah, that, that's, that's the the condition. Really appreciate it. I just want to say like a few things before we close, like, um, I really appreciate like all your authenticity and like vulnerability. Like you talked a lot, a lot. Uh, uh, I can't even speak about a lot of uh, personal things, yeah. and I know it's going to resonate with a lot of people. So good, good. And thanks for your time. And no, really, it's anytime. just it's yeah, it's been amazing having you on, and I can't wait for people to hear this as well. Brilliant. So yeah, yeah, it'd be great to meet you, and uh, yeah, good luck with it because uh, I think we need podcasts like this out and about and we need people having conversations well thank you very much cheers so until next time guys this has been dan udell on know yourself with chris young peace out